Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. To God and God alone be all the glory. I'm so grateful for our musicians, those who lead us in worship and provoke the imagination musically every week. And grateful, Tommy, that you would step in in, in leadership as Glenn is away on much needed rest away this weekend and grateful for your leadership. Today I get to introduce a new friend to you, a new friend to you, not a new friend to me, uh, George Lyons, and I go back a little ways. Uh, in fact, let me kind of frame what we're doing here in case this is the first time you've been here in a few weeks. In our summer series, you know by now that during the summer there is a span of of uh, a number of Sundays in which I am away doing study, writing, reading, preparing, presenting for my doctorate. And that very faint light is beginning to show at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it may still be a train, but right now it's a very faint light coming. But during this time, it is, it is one of the supreme joys that I have experienced these last three years in introducing during the summer friends of mine who I, I want to come and feed you and nourish all of us with the word that they will bring. And today I get to introduce George Lyons. Now George and I go back to our time in Tennessee. For about six years to seven years, six and a half years or so, I was serving at a church in Tennessee. And George was at First Calvary in Knoxville, Tennessee. And every Tuesday we met for coffee at Starbucks every Tuesday. And we would gather together, about three or four of us. You know Bill Scheel. Bill has been with us here in this pulpit. The three of us would gather, and we would talk preaching. We would say to each other over a latte or a coffee or a tea, uh, what are you going to say this weekend? And then we'd go around the horn, and, and we would talk lectionary texts. We would talk about the passage, and we would tell stories and share stories and rob one another of stories you know i heard a recent uh recently i heard someone say that george in in the preaching ministry we're all just passing the biscuits right we're all and i can tell you that for a number of years the biscuits that george passed me were buttered well they were served with a side of honey strawberry they were wonderful and we shared some really important uh, times during those early years together and uh, today I want to introduce you uh, and uh, give him a proper introduction by letting you know something about George. Dr. George Lyons is the senior pastor of the historic Guilfield Baptist Church in Petersburg, Virginia. He's a native of Los Angeles, California. And now if I had said L.A., around here people would understand that L.A. means... So, Los Angeles, California... Dr. Lyons is a graduate of the University of California, Los Angeles, where he earned a bachelor's degree in political science, the Howard Div University School of Divinity in Washington, D.C., where he earned with honors the Master of Divinity degree, 
and the United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, where he earned the Doctor of Ministry degree. He has completed with additional studies, uh, he's completed additional studies in the Department of Religion as a Ford Foundation Fellow at Princeton University. In a ministry career that has spanned 27 years, Dr. Lyons has served congregations in California, Washington, D.C., and Tennessee. Dr. Lyons is active in civic and religious affairs. He is a member of the National Baptist Convention USA, the Baptist General Convention of Virginia, where he serves on the general board, and the American Baptist Churches USA. He is the vice moderator of the Bethany District Baptist Association. He's a member of the Virginia Council of Churches and the Baptist Ministers Conference, where he serves as dean, and he is the president of Downtown Churches United, Petersburg. Dr. Lyons and his wife, Lucretia, are the parents to three daughters, uh, but most of all, Pastor Lyons is committed to carrying the message of our Lord Jesus Christ to all he encounters. And I gotta tell you, on Friday, when my executive assistant, Rhonda Bird, uh, who was a mutual friend of ours, by the way, the Bird family, when Rhonda called me and said, George has called, I said, stop right there. Because the week before, our guest called on Friday with a, an unexpected morphing moment in his life. But fortunately, we are here to welcome George. George made it here, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you're here. Would you give a warm JCBC welcome to my friend and brother in Christ, George Lyons. bid you good morning in the matchless name that is above every name. There is no sweeter name I know than the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I am delighted to be here today at the Johns Creek Baptist Church, and I am delighted to share with my dear friend, and I won't use the adjective old, we started as young pastors together, and if you do anything for any length of time, you won't be young always. <laughs> he is a brother, beloved, and I'm so delighted to share with him today. We are a long way from our coffee shop uh, discussion points uh, in Knoxville, but we would gather and talk sermons and we would grade ourselves on how we did the last Sunday and pray that God would grant us another opportunity <laughs> the coming Sunday. I want to thank the staff and members of Johns Creek Baptist Church for your warm and gracious hospitality and reception. It is wonderful to be here, and you made me feel welcome. You've embraced me, and I am delighted uh, to be here. I want to also make special mention of uh, Mrs. Robin, uh, Rhonda Bird. Uh, we're longtime friends. She married the son of uh, our boyhood pastor in Los Angeles. And uh, as God would rearrange our paths, 
we would intersect at this point with the Johns Creek Church family. So I'm delighted to be here and I bring you greetings from the Gillfield Baptist Church of Petersburg, Virginia, where we are celebrating our 220th anniversary as a congregation. Go on and give the Lord a hand of praise. Organized in 1797, we were a group of slave and free believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would be pleased, and I admonish our congregation, we can't be the generation that drops the ball in 2017, so we have a large and great work ahead of us. Uh, I'm delighted to see uh, dear friends and family, the Sheriff Walker family, Shy and I haven't seen each other since we were in the 10th grade. And as you can tell by looking at me, that's only been a couple years ago. <laughs> and I think my cousin is out here, Dr. Ruth Neal, and I'm delighted to be here with you. I can't uh, stand in this great place and not recall the name of uh, Dr. William Self and his great work in the kingdom of God and uh, his great legacy and I celebrate that and I'm delighted uh, to be here. I'm giving you a little time uh, as we're new to each other. This is my first time here. I waited 27 years to come here. <laughs> I wanna keep us on schedule, but just in case I'm not invited back, you'll give me 10 extra minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, the Braves won so handily yesterday, 13 to zero that I'm sure you'll give me those 13 extra minutes, you know. <laughs> you don't have to rush. They, if lightning strikes twice, that's wonderful. But if not, they had a great day yesterday. <laughs> so we ask that you would, you would uh, do that. I don't want to keep you. A young boy was sitting on the balcony uh, with his little brother. The little brother said, what does it mean when the preacher takes off his watch and sets it on the pulpit? The older brother looked at him and said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I want to, I want to admonish you, it's all right if you say amen, if the Lord hits you with a revelatory word. I like to get excited when I preach, I hope to get excited, and sometimes I'll raise my voice, so yeah, if I do that, don't lower the mic, just bear with me <laughs> and shout with me as God gives us a great word. If you brought your Bibles or have it on your device, I want you to turn with me to Exodus, the third chapter. Exodus, the third chapter. And I want to thank God for those members of our church family who, and my household who might be uh, streaming us on their devices right now. I want to give a shout out to my family. And Pastor Sean, I hope that we can all gather and worship uh, after your trials and labors have been completed uh, with the academy, and we can share as a congregation from Petersburg and, and uh, Georgia. Exodus, the third chapter, beginning at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, 
to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Tend to be an encourager in my ministry and in my preaching and proclamation, and I want to encourage you all today with the message entitled, Get Back in the Game. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, get back in the game. I know it's the summer and you need to hear this encouragement. Maybe you've been working all year. You need to know it's okay to get back in the game. Let us pray. Now, Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Hide us behind the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In this highly sophisticated media age in which we live, we have access to a variety of sporting events. We can just press a remote control button and turn from one televised sporting event to another. And more and more, I am surprised at the sporting events in which people not only developed a great skill, but also the great sense of loyalty and appreciation that exists both among the fans, players, and spectators. And anyone who has even a limited interest or understanding of sporting events, one thing is for sure, it takes a whole lot of practice to develop the needed experience to effectively play the sport. Moreover, when two highly skilled athletes take opposing sides, no matter how skilled and conditioned and prepared they are, one player, one team, one side wins. And with all of that pressure, the pressure of wanting to win and the pressure of wanting to demonstrate superior ability, no wonder there's so many sore losers. No wonder player conduct increasingly becomes less desirable. The pressure can become so intense that in some in, uh, events, an individual or a team can lose enthusiasm and virtually hand over the victory to their opponent. Some athletes have a lower tolerance level than others for keeping a winning attitude. And we've seen it all before when the pressure is intense and defeat is in the air when a timeout is called, the player, the team sits there with an attitude that gives every indication that when the start bell sounds again, they're going to give up. They're going to sit there on the bench and call it quits. They're going to the locker room and let the clock run out. All of us have seen that scenario in sporting arenas, in big league or little league, in professional or amateur games, in adult or youth games. But anyone who has ever watched the players in the game called life 
have also seen the fatigue, the weariness, the total disappointment that is etched on the faces of life's players who are about to be consumed by defeat and who make up in their minds that the game is over and that when the whistle blows again, they're not going back into the game called life. Oh yes, we see it all the time in the game of life when someone loses possession of their scoring edge, you know, because of a divorce or an illness or an error in judgment or because of financial difficulty or the residence of some sin. And just as it is in athletics, no one ever begins the game with the intention of losing. No one begins with the intention of not putting up their best defense and offense, but something happens between the start of the game and halftime that causes many people to entertain the idea that they've lost the game already and that they would be better off heading for the locker room until regulation time is up. And the Bible is replete with the experiences of women and men who intend to play and to win, but somewhere along the line, by halftime, they sat on the sidelines and said, I quit. The life of Moses offers us a perfect illustration today. For someone who sat on the sidelines, decided to give up, and God had to tell him, get back in the game. In this text this morning, we encounter Moses who had been born into slavery, but by God's providence was raised as a son of the Pharaoh, a, a prince of Egypt. And Moses received the best education. He received the best health care. He received the best nurture. He was exposed to all of the best that the known world had to offer. He lived in the best palace. He had the best room a kid could have. He had the best teachers a student could have. He had literally the best of everything. But he knew that there was something different about him. And although he lived among the privileged, he knew that he didn't have to be a prince. And in the Exodus story, we find an adult Moses encountering an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and in a flash, Moses says to himself, this fellow could beat me if I hadn't been adopted by the Pharaoh. So he looks up the street one way and he looks down the street the other and he decides to take the law into his own hands and he's so filled with rage and madness that he kills the abuser. This marks a defining moment in his life. This is a pivotal point in Moses' game for he decides to take off his Egyptian tank top. And he goes on the side of Team Hebrew. You know, sometimes in the game of life, we get fed up with the mess, fed up with the madness, fed up with the deception, and we speak out, we shift gears, we make a full turnabout and decide to move to the right side. And so many people have decided that there has to be a better way. So they take matters into their own hands, and unfortunately, they don't live to tell about it. They intend to make a turn for the better, but the fury that they face becomes too great and the wrath of their opponents hits them harder than they expect. And so many folk have never recovered from that flat tire that their turnabout cost them. Some people can get themselves disqualified before the game really begins. Moses takes matters into his own hands. 
and almost forfeits the game. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says that Moses decided that he'd had enough pretending in the king's house. He wanted to do more. Uh, he wanted to do the right thing and live honestly with his God, with himself, with his people. And while his decision is commendable, his expression almost cost him the game before he could see any real playing time. I mean, he chose the right side, but he went about it the wrong way. He used all his power when all that was required was for him to wait for the coach, wait for God to give the signals. Moses had reached a life-changing opportunity, but when he thought that he was in with Team Hebrew, when he thought that they were tight and together, the Hebrews rejected him. Some misunderstood him. Some resented him. Exodus 2.13, as well as Dr. Luke in Acts 7.24, records that the day after Moses announces that he's playing on a new team, he encounters two of his teammates fighting, and Moses tries to get them to peacefully resolve their conflict. But what happens is that uh, they stop fighting uh, just long enough for one of them to turn to Moses and say, what, who, who died and made you Pharaoh? Well, the other one said, well, besides, if we stop fighting, you going to kill us too? I want to drop this word for somebody new to the faith and on fire for the Lord. Don't ever be surprised at what church folk do. In fact, don't be surprised if you find more rejection from church folk than your old buddies from whom you are starting to morph on the outside of the church. And some of us who have been on this Christian journey a while know that many times the very people you expect to understand you and to appreciate you and to affirm you and to understand your sincere motives and helpful actions will chew your head off and attack you like you stole something. But all you were trying to do is to help them and to bring them some elevation and enlightenment. Can I get a witness here? The Bible says in Acts 7.25, Moses thought that his own people would understand that God was using him in the liberation process, but the Hebrews rejected Moses' efforts. He, he, he wanted to inspire his team. Listen, you're not in the game to be understood by your teammates. You think that you're in the game to find support, look again. Because sometimes your teammates will be more of a challenge to you than your opponents. And so Moses had to flee Egypt because his altercation had been found out. And he's now a fugitive from justice. His royal privileges had been taken away, rejected by his adopted community, ostracized by his ethnic community. He just wanted to do the right thing, and yet all the wrong things happened. And this happens all the time. As you start to change and grow and mature, and instead of celebration and appreciation and affirmation, you're met with the resistance and pushback from folk who you thought would celebrate you and affirm you. You thought you were making all of the right turns, and you believe that God placed it on your heart and put a zeal and a fire in you, and the very ones you would expect who were waiting for you to change to celebrate you, it doesn't happen. And that's what Moses faced. Moses was in a tight spot. And you know what happens when an athlete gets in a tight spot. They, they call a timeout in order to regroup. And Moses decides, while well, there's a timeout because Pharaoh hasn't imprisoned him yet. In the few moments of the timeout, Moses fled for the desert of Midian. And throughout that game, 
he thought would be over. He thought that he would get out of the game by a forfeit. And Moses made up in his mind that he could live with that loss. It's dangerous when you think you can live with the loss. Perhaps Moses told himself, well, I tried to rescue those Hebrews and I tried to enlighten those Egyptians, you know, to heck with both of them. I'm out of here. See you later. But God had another plan for Moses. You see, Moses had given up on himself. But thanks be to God, when we get discouraged with ourselves, when we don't even live up to our own expectations, although we might give up on ourselves, God never gives up on us. Turn to somebody and tell them, God never gives up on us. You can tell somebody tomorrow at work, God did not give up on us. There are witnesses in the room that God did not give up on you because you were down in the dumps of despair, but God's grace found you. And when you thought nothing else could help, God did not give up on you. No, no, he didn't give up on us. In fact, when everything looked bleak and we were all washed up, when the second and the third string could not help, we were losing well before halftime and the score had been run up way out of reach. God sent Jesus from out of the sky box and said, get in there and win the game for them. It didn't matter how far behind we were. God didn't give up on us when salvation was at stake. Don't you dare think that the little mess you're in now means that God has given up on you. You may have given up on God. You may have given up on you, but if you listen for a hot second, you'll hear God saying to you, get back in the game. I'm not finished with you yet. Well, Pastor Lyons, I haven't heard God call me back in the game. Maybe that's because you haven't taken the limits off God. See, what's impossible for you is possible with God. Moses almost missed the call back, but God sent a messenger to a bush on Mount Horeb and got Moses' attention and said to Moses, in essence, get back in the game. Let me talk to somebody in here who's walked off from the game of life. Just open up your heart and mind to experiencing God in a brand new way. You got to take God out of that mental box that grandma had God and let God show up to you in a way that you've never seen before. I mean, mama's view of God worked for her and daddy's view worked for him, but you need to have your own relationship with God. You need to come to grips with God's presence in your own life. Yeah, you've been playing and faking all the time before, but you're in God's presence now. It's a brand new day and a brand new way in a whole new arena with a totally different feel and a whole different perspective. And when you encounter God this way, you'll even look at yourself differently. God told Moses, take off your shoes. I know you've never done that before, but there's no better time to start than right now. I know the ways in which you used to walk. Now, let's take a brand new approach. Get back in the game. You've made mistakes before, but let's start this thing off right. So first, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes of hostility. Take off your shoes, Moses. Take off your shoes of guilt and anger. Take off your shoes of pride. Take off your shoes of arrogance. Take off your, your shoes. What shoes are you still wearing today? What shoes do you have on that God wants you to take off so God can start walking you in a different direction? God is still saying you're not the big shot you thought you were back then. Let's start doing things my way. Start heeding my voice. God told Moses, I've seen what's going on. And I know they rejected you, but you're just the one I need. 
the one whom they rejected, to tell them that deliverance is in the house. Tell their chief oppressors, let the captives go free to the land that God has already given to them. But Moses couldn't believe that he was being given another chance. Moses couldn't believe that he was being given a contract extension. And so Moses asked God, but who am I that I should make demands of Pharaoh? He felt inadequate. You know, God always anticipates our objections and is waiting for us to express them in order to tell us, like God told Moses, when you get to the arena and you square off at the goal line against Pharaoh, and somebody asks, what are you doing here? Or, or what do you think you're going to do this time? You're all washed up, out of conditioning and only a shadow of what you used to be. God says to Moses, this is what I'll promise you. Moses, I'll transform this very spot. When you have delivered my people, when you obey my voice, when you have won uh, the championship, I'll make this very spot on which you're standing now with anxiety and doubt and fear. Oh, where the people will come to congratulate you. You make this spot where we began the place where you return to worship me for bringing you to victory. And even today, God wants to transform the very spot on which I, your life is now standing. God wants to transform your apartment of agitation into the apex of abundance. God wants to take your corner of confusion and make it celebration crossing. God wants to take your place of perplexity and propel you the peaks of prosperity. God wants to take you off of that terrace of tears and anchor you in God's port of joy. And all you have to do is obey God's word to you and just get back in the game. Whatever happened yesterday, it's over. It doesn't matter who was out to get you. You got God in your life right now. And God says, I got my divine hand on you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Go on and get back in the game. Victory hasn't passed you by. Just get back in the game. Forget about how long you were out of the game. God will get you back into shape. God will make this place where you cried and into the place of your testimony. You might be weak today. But tomorrow when you pass this spot on your way to what God has promised, just stop by and have a little church. Somebody thought they'd sit it out right here, but God said get back in the game. The race is not over yet. Get back in the game, not by your own might, power, but by God's spirit. Get back in the game no matter who was against you yesterday, no matter where you have been, no matter where you've had to stop. When you come back this way again, it will be transformed. It won't be the same place. It'll be the place where you say, how I got over. My soul looks back and wonder how I got over. You, when you come back to this place, you'll say, nobody but you, Lord, could have gotten me from where I used to be to where I am now. I couldn't see it by myself, but I has not seen and ear has not heard what great things God has in store for you. When you get back in the game, you'll realize that you're not the same anymore. You'll look at your hands and your hands will look new. You'll want to serve him. You'll look at your feet and they'll look new. You'll want to go in his direction. You'll look at your heart and discover what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Get back in the game and watch what God take you to victory 
after victory for his namesake.